filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Um, I'm back. Hi, this is Adam. I'm I'm back uh, on the show. I have two children and a wife sleeping upstairs as we record this. Uh, And hopefully that will remain the case through the entirety of this recording. I can't promise there won't be a screaming infant or toddler or uh, adult person of one gender or another screaming. I at least... I at least hope they all remain your children and or wife throughout this recording. Yes. Whether or not they remain sleeping. As do I, Ben. Um, so yeah, uh, my my son was born last week. Um, we're we're very excited to have him happy to have him, and, and my daughter is thrilled. She's over the moon, possibly even more than my wife and me, if that's possible. <laughs> uh, she loves the crap out of this kid, and it's awesome to Aww. see. Um, meanwhile, uh, my wife and I are on next to no sleep. I really should have taken a nap today, and um, very stupidly did not. I didn't feel the need to take a nap, so I just watched a bunch of Archer with my son in my arms, and that that seemed like and, a good uh, use of my time at the time. Put you in charge of the show. Yeah, that was a <laughs> that was a mistake five years ago, and it <laughs> has never well, been more mean, so like, than we, right we now. Could like we could have steered this away and been like, why don't we let somebody else host this week, and Adam can just you know do, do what he can. But no, no, straight back into it. Yep. Yep. So here we are. Good luck, everyone. I guess. <laughs> um, Jason, I know you had a, a bit of an adventure at. I, I missed the game at at RFK on on Wednesday. Uh, I think I had a good excuse for it, but uh, I know you were there Except and yes. you remained there, there long, long after the game ended. <laughs> yeah. I well, I stayed uh, long enough to let the music. They play like two songs after. Well, I guess it's probably three songs after the game ends, but it's really once the applause dies down after a win, there are two songs that two more songs they play over the PA system. And then I I did our uh, post game video um, that we have on Facebook Live for the site. Um, so I did that. That video was a little longer than normal. I I think I don't actually. It just seemed like that. It just seemed like it went on for a while. Um, I mean, you did there was some a gigantic pretty good moth, moth hunting. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a gigantic moth that we later found out from. Um, uh, Caitlin Buckley, who covers the spirit for the site, that uh, her neighbor is apparently a moth expert, and it was apparently a sphinx moth, and it's very unlikely that you would find it in a non-wooded setting. Um, so there was that. Um, but then after that, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to leave. Um, and the media parking for the game was actually at the armory rather than the little lot next to lot A uh, because of some they had some kind of thing they were setting up. Um, they did not explain that part. So there's a little parking lot. If you're walking past the armory, there's a little lot to the left. That's where I was parked. Naturally, it's the armory, so they want to get you out of there as soon as they can because it's not even stadium uh, property. It's the armory's lot. Um, So I get back to my car. I think everything's fine. My car has had no signs of trouble and, in fact, just got serviced last week. And I was told by the mechanic that even though it looks terrible, uh, that it also looks like it could last for another 100,000 miles without any problems. Um, so I get in the car and I push the clutch in. It's, it's a stick shift. I push in the clutch and it does not start. Um, so six hours later, um, <laughs> uh, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't jump that far ahead. A uh, half an hour later, Steven Streff emerges from RFK having written our two articles for the game, uh, from the stadium. He emerges and yells from across the street. You still, um, because. Um, because at this point, my car, I got a push start to get out of the lot, but I didn't have enough of a hill to actually pop the clutch. Um, but I got pushed out of the lot by the lot attendant, and I had rolled around the corner waiting for a tow truck, which I had been told would take an hour. At 10.37, I was told one hour. Um, I arrived home at 4.56 uh, a.m. Um, with a tow truck driver that definitely seemed like he was going to uh, swerve into oncoming traffic at some point. It was a terrifying ride home. 
Um, in the meantime, I got to see a lot of what goes on outside RFK, um, which is a, it's a weird place to hang out, it turns out, uh, at that hour on a Wednesday night. Um, and then uh, my Thursday was completely and totally obliterated because I arrived home at 5 a.m. And I usually get up at 7. So I had to get up at 7 to go to I, – I got dropped off at a local gas station. I had to go, get up and go at 7 back down there um, so that I could get uh, – so I could drop off my keys um, so that they could actually do work on the car because they weren't open to do anything at 5. Um, so, yeah, uh, that was bad. Nice 90-minute power nap to get you to Thursday. Ben, what uh, wonderful and or terrible thing happened to you this week? Uh, The wonderful thing that happened to me this week is I went to one of my top five favorite festivals in Richmond. Richmond has a lot of outdoor festivals in the summer, and so I'm not going to spend too much bright energy trying to rank them definitively, but... The one this weekend was the Vegetarian Festival, and despite its name and despite the fact that I love meat, um, they have a lot of good food at the Vegetarian Festival, and they have a lot of cool and wacky booths uh, that range from the uh, fairly normal, like there's a lot of animal welfare booths and animal rescues and stuff like that, to the more strange, like uh, there's a particular booth that is a uh, poultry rescue and christy and i were just wondering how one gets involved in poultry rescue specifically are you interested in becoming involved no a a poultry rescuer no (laughs) i mean i would i would rescue poultry into my stomach I like the picture of poultry rescuer as someone who kicks the door in and actually rescues them from immediate danger, uh, dramatic danger, not like, oh, this farm is poorly run, so we have to get... I mean, that person that's the, in the latter scenario is definitely saving more chickens than in mine, but right, you know, it's yeah. not that entertaining. It's like, oh, this kind of sucks. Um, so so you're, you, you, want, you, want nice the, you want the Liam Neeson of uh, poultry rescuers? I guess. I, I, don't, I was not really big on the Taken movies, but I, he could do the job, I think. The Jean-Claude Van Damme? I was going to go like a Bruce Willis, um, but okay. uh, no, Liam Neeson would be all right. Van Damme, I, no, I've got no, that's not That's not his thing. Do you want him to there's, kick the bird no, is the question. There's no fighting tournament involved in, or it, there could be, but it would be ridiculous. Um, let's be, let's be sincere about our chicken rescue movie. Let's have it, let's ground it in some reality. <laughs> all right, just to be clear, is this a claymation chicken rescue movie? Because I think that one's already happened. No. It's live Take action. Seriously, Adam. Come on. <laughs> hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United Poultry Rescue Podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, back in the chair. Uh, ben Bromley and Jason Anderson are with me. As always, we got a big, big show for you tonight. Lots of soccer to talk about. DC United won and lost last week uh, against Atlanta and Philadelphia. Respectively, we're going to break down both of those games. We're going to preview DC United's Wednesday night trip to New England to play the Revolution in the U.S. Open Cup round of 16. Trip to the quarterfinals on the line in the oldest knockout tournament in all the land. And we are going to preview D.C. United's weekend trip to the Great White North. They play Montreal on Saturday night. That'll be 7 p.m. on News Channel 8. Before we do anything, though, Ben, what are you drinking? I had to go back to basics because I am basic. And I had to go with a Manhattan. Nice. I mean, when you're learning a new discipline like poultry rescue, it's good to keep everything else simple. So you don't exactly. have to overcomplicate. Exactly. I need to concentrate my mind and all my extra energy on poultry rescue. And everything else is just kind of on autopilot. Yeah, I, I should have taken that advice. Uh, probably, arguably. Um, and, you know, with, with a, a new life. In my house, probably should have tried to keep it extra simple, but um, I still you could have also brought up, simple. You could have also brought some poultry into your house as well if you wanted just I, more new life. I think that would be a really bad idea. I am not going to invite the, I, Adam's last hour of sleep would be dedicated to <laughs> poultry wrangling. <laughs> uh, I'm stressing out here, like I'm breaking out into a sweat right now, a cold sweat, just thinking about it. Um, it could be like an active defense poultry. No, I, I have two dogs, dude. I don't need defense poultry, especially since I'm pretty sure they're not legal in the city. 
so anyway, I went with um, a gin Ricky, but I replaced most of the club soda with uh, ginger beer. So it's like a ginger gin Ricky, which is a lot like an extra limey gin mule, essentially. But uh, I, I watered it down a little bit, so it's not just ginger beer and gin and lime. It's you know the full half a lime and then a little bit of, of club soda to, to cut the, the ginger beer and try to help the gin come through. Uh, it's you know I think it's a work in progress, but it's it's a promising drink. It's things I like that seem to go well together. It's just getting the right ratio. Um, not bad for a first effort. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I also have a first effort drink. Um, one of our uh, friends uh, from various bloggery, uh, Susie Rants from Sounder at Heart, mentioned that uh, Trader Joe's sells a jalapeno limeade, which I did not know about. So I went and got some of that. Uh, she had made it with a gin, um, but I, at the last second, decided to uh, a shot a, a shot and a half of mezcal in. So I have my um, El Bujo mezcal uh, and jalapeno limeade, and it's I've got to say it's it's turned out really good. This is a good drink. I don't have a name for it, um, but uh, the results are very good, and and I I recommend trying it. I'm also going to try her version with the gin, um, but yeah, I'm overall very pleased with with this. Uh, experiment that i took a left turn on at the last moment nice uh one thing you could do i remember um i I actually had a facebook memory about this episode recently where we named a drink back in 2013 Mm -hmm. um it was it was a drink i had made up i think it was it was gin and simple syrup and rosemary shaken over ice and and strained yep and i remember that i remember this i I didn't have a name for it for a long time and united were were without a win for so long that i said the next game winning goal scorer is going to have this name named after them and so that's a gin pontius for forever and always that drink is is a pontius and uh i i don't know what the equivalent because united's not as bad as they were in 2013 thankfully but if if something momentous happens on the field i I suggest pledging some kind of uh, fealty to naming that to after a player or event of some kind. It worked out okay enough for me. We won the Open Cup that year, so that's true. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about more recent soccer. The black and red once again put the interlopers united in their place last week, and then they fell to the Union in what was a very full week of soccer. DC United beat Atlanta 2-1 at RFK Stadium on Wednesday night after Luciano Acosta and Patrick Niarco overcame Julian Gressel's opener. Then on Saturday, DC went up to Chester, PA, dropped a 1-0 result on Fafa Pico's volley to beat Bill Hamid and United. Um, All told, three points from two games isn't necessarily what we wanted or needed, but this was probably the best, at least arguably, the best 180-minute stretch of soccer that they've played in 2017 as far as two games back to back um actually playing well enough keeping the ball well enough generating chances even if they didn't generate enough or high quality enough or put them away they actually looked pretty competent out there for all 180 minutes of this um some defensive errors you know notwithstanding uh they they outshot both teams and if you take away Julian Gressel's tap in, they had a better expected goals than both teams, at least according to uh Tegan on Twitter yeah. in their model. Yeah. Those those expected goals were a little uh wacky to me because uh if uh we're talking about like Niako with a header inside the six and we're valuing it at roughly the same as a forty five yard shot, then something's wrong. Um, right. I think all expected goals models um have some unstated assumptions and have some issues it's they are all works in progress and if we treat them as such they can be really valuable uh tools but they are obviously that's why i was talking about a lot of other things before i even mentioned them they are not the end of any argument in in my mind but i think i think think the best way to put it is just that dc deserved to beat atlanta um I, i think that's fair to say and and against philly it really was the union had one real scoring chance and it came on a bad uh a bad 20 seconds basically um yeah 
that's pretty much it. Um, and they were on they were on full, uh, a full week's rest, whereas DC was coming off of a, it's a Wednesday Saturday, which is always tougher than Saturday to Wednesday. So, um, the fact that that game was dead even, uh, despite the tired legs, whereas uh, um, the the Wednesday game United seemed to go pretty well. Um, overall, I'd say. Uh, in that, that context, it's not a bad week, but, I mean, United kind of lost the right to say, well, you know, it's only three points, but, we, you know, there were some good things in there. They kind of lost that right when they lost three straight at home uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah, right now they need to be getting yeah. back as many points as they can to get back into touch with the, the playoff hunt. And, you know, one and a half points a game isn't quite going to do it at this point. Right. They, need, they need more than that. Um, the Atlanta game, they looked like they, they have it in them to get it right at the very least. Um, there, there was a little bit of hope they got, they, uh, they got the tactics, right. They looked, I think as close to the late 2016 version of DC United, as we've seen in, in 2017, Ben, what, what was it that went right in that game? Oh, what went right is that they were playing uh, Atlanta United against whom they have scored 42% of their goals this entire season. Uh, for whatever reason, they have the number of the interlopers united and uh, they've been able to pull out two wins against them. Uh, against um, Philly, it was more of the same from the rest of this season. So I'm, I'm not as uh, confident as you all seem to be about the way this team is going. It, it may have been the best they've played uh, 180 minutes wise uh, so far this season, but I don't think it's getting them anywhere close to the playoffs if they continue to play at this level. So I still think they need to take another uh, fairly large step up before they can uh, consider threatening the playoffs, even if they are only uh, what six points out right at this point. Yeah. I and, think- that's, and that's why I closed with, the note yeah, I, they lost their uh, they lost their moral victory claims uh, a few weeks ago. Um, I, I right. think I actually tend where you are land where you are where three isn't three isn't good enough right now, um, and that's the and especially the, against Philly, who's one of the teams that is just as bad as DC United. And right. when I we think, come into this next sec- when we come into this next uh, segment about the upcoming games. Uh, they have to get a lot of points or, and well, not points because you don't care about points in the open cup, but they need to do a lot of things in these next two games. Cause those are also two pretty bad teams in the East. Yeah. I think the reason I'm a little bit more optimistic is partly because the, the Atlanta game was different to my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll talk about that more in a, more in a minute, but also because looking at Seattle last year and how bad they were in, in the first part of the year and seeing signs of life on the attack, uh, against Atlanta and and somewhat against Philly, even there there were there were some chances there um, that that we really hadn't seen much of this year. Even if they didn't go in, it, it it was improved performance as far as process goes. And seeing that there, um, and there's there's one big change that that I'm going to talk about that that I think is the reason for that. Seeing those signs of life and and hopefully getting some new new additions in also like Seattle last year. I'm I'm not saying this is going to be a run anywhere comparable to Seattle's last year, but if they can get within touching distance of the the playoff pack, I think that there's a a chance they could at least get into the postseason or 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 threaten, which would be progress from where we are now. And that's what we need to see. We need to see much more and much faster progress than than we have, but yeah. You know, it starts with one step and it's in this Atlanta game. I think it was different from the first Atlanta game where United survived, uh, several sitters essentially in the first stages of that game. And Bill Hamid bailed him out, some bad finishing bailed him out. And then in this game at RFK, it was very different. United were not, you know, surviving. They were, they were playing well and they, Patrick Niarco hit, uh, a post and a crossbar. I think uh, there were some other very near misses for United before they finally put it away. So I think that there were, I, I think this was that, that game certainly was the best performance of the year. Philly was a step back. It was also on the road with some squad rotation. And that, that guy I mentioned, Patrick Niarco 
wasn't in the starting lineup and it showed he was arguably the best player on the field during the Atlanta game. He was certainly the most influential uh, for DC United. And I think if he can maintain this level um, and, and also his health and not, not go back on the shelf, which is probably why he didn't play from the start against uh, Philly. Exactly. Yeah. If he can maintain, you know, both his uh, fitness and form, then he's, a real threat to do really good things for DC United. And he makes the game easier for Lucho Acosta and for whoever happens to be the forward. I think his absence and his um, not being at top form earlier in the year were big problems for, for DC. And he's, you know, one of the two or three most important players on the field for the black and red. And, this week, anyway, when he came on as a sub against Philly and when he started against Atlanta, he looked like it, and the team is much better when that's the case. You know, he and you know he took advantage of the fact that Tyrone Mears is not the fastest player in the world playing it right back, and he he really he didn't just take advantage of it by creating danger; he made it count. It was tangible, getting into the box, getting on the end of crosses, creating chances for others, scoring a goal. Um, and that's, you know, that's the next step for United is it needs to be more of that where we're not just talking about like such and such created this, such and such created that. We're talking about um, like guys went close to scoring. Uh, people were creating legitimate chances, not just the threat of a chance, but the actual chance. Um, and and this was a game I think that, that, you know, you mentioned that header off the bar. I think United could have, uh, could have won this game a little easier than they ended up doing. They ended up having... Um, uh, Bill Hamid had to make uh, the last touch of the game was a spectacular uh, save that if, if this team manages to get into the playoffs, we should be talking a lot about that save um, because Joseph Martinez absolutely put that ball into the corner and Hamid somehow got over there and, and kept it out. Um, and he hadn't had much to do. Uh, so it wasn't like this. This wasn't like one of those games where he was under a barrage and he had started to build that like um, – that set of repetitions where he gets it in his head, where like, no, I, I can get to anything. This was like, he had been kind of not that busy. Uh, and then he had to come up with, I mean, if the biggest, I mean, if this team goes to the playoffs, that could be the biggest save in MLS anywhere the entire season. Um, a literal last touch, uh, at home to preserve three points. That would, if that team, if that effort had resulted in a draw instead of a win, I don't know psychologically how this team picks itself up again. Um, and so that's uh yeah. deserves a lot of credit for uh I mean saving the day um quite literally in in that instance. Yeah. Uh in the Philly game uh the biggest story I think that that is being talked about not just uh, between DC and Philly fans but around the league uh really had nothing to do with the tactics or the play or or the fans or or anything like that. It was a referee's decision and a player's influence on it and not the way that it usually goes normally you hear about players trying to deceive the ref get a competitive advantage get a player sent off get a penalty um harris madunian was fouled by luciana acosta uh at midfield they they ran out to the sidelines and acosta gave him a little push and as the the two players fell um acosta's leg shot out i i guess to catch himself or to carry he was carrying his stride and then stopped when he realized that Madunyanin was going to be in the way. Referee Soren, Soren Stoika, who otherwise had a pretty bad game, uh, which you know happens to him with some regularity, he pulled out a straight red without a lot of hesitation. Acosta's just, he was dumbfounded. He was like, for, for what? What did I do? I, I didn't do anything. And he, he was sent off. We all assumed when Acosta stayed on the field and was allowed to continue playing, it was the assistant referee that told Stoika, dude, you're not very good at this. Let He, he didn't do anything. <laughs> it turns out it was actually Harris Madunyanin who got up, saw the red card, asked Acosta, what's it for? Uh, and he said, did I kick you? I didn't kick you. And he said, no, you didn't kick me. He told the ref, he didn't kick me. And Stoika said, okay, you didn't kick him. You get to play. <laughs> and that was... That's, it was it's one of the more bizarre sequences because there was no explanation on the field yeah. at the time. Because it's not like yeah, the NFL where the that, referee like, comes out and makes hand signals. Yeah, Sorica did not like make a de- demonstration to show that he wasn't sending Acosta off. He just left him on the field. 
Um, there was no attempt to communicate to the crowd uh, or anything. It was just after like, showing a red card, like right, he came up, it up in the air, like you did. Yeah, obviously, he spoke to the players, but that was it. Um, uh, which is not really really the best. I mean, for a rec league, that would be fine because there's no one else to tell. Um, but when right. you have you know tens of thousands of people and a TV audience uh, that has many more, maybe you should do something to let people know what's going on. Um, I know a lot of broadcasts get access to um, a microphone at the fourth official's desks. Uh, that could have been um, a useful thing. And in here, we ended up hearing, you know, the the DC broadcast, at least, they were also trying to find information um, that uh, of what was going on. And I know that they found something about how it was overturned. Apparently, the, anyone watching on the Union broadcast didn't even get that. Um, which is yeah. not entirely su- surprising to me. Um, that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, it was a, a strange and confusing moment that, you know, thankfully the press there managed to get clarification on and, and actually track down um, Madunian, and, and he explained it himself. Um, Very well. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he gave a full accounting of what was going on, and, and uh, later I assume that the... I think it was... I think actually the Stoika response to the written question because one reporter is allowed to submit questions in writing to the referee right um yeah his response came out Terrible. and then um and then we had the um Madunian and video come out um to yeah, i think it was and, actually... and we still ended up needing the, the Madunian and video still explained more than stoika um yeah if, if memory serves, uh, but in any yeah, case, it's, it's uh, kind of pro policy PRO, the professional referees organization. It's kind of their policy that the responses to uh, pool questions are, are phrased to mirror the, the laws of the game, the rule book, right? Essentially. And that's, Usually that's it. Very, they give you no indication right, of what answers like he was sent yeah. off for violent conduct period. And that is the full yeah. answer. Um, so usually those answers don't give us a ton of, Usually it just confirms where you're like, what, is that what the referee thought? And that's really all you get. Um, yeah, this, this was actually got, more um, – Yeah. It, it was more than you usually get from a referee right. in that situation. But Madunian's was a lot more. I, what, what I thought was funny, it was actually Ben Olsen, I think, who scooped everyone on explaining the red card during his post-game interview. He said, I, I was told by some of the players that Madunian lobbied to have the red card right. rescinded and – He's a classy player, and obviously now I know he's a classy human being as well, um, which is a good quote from Benny. And it's also funny that it it was basically just players telling other players and it getting back to the benches is how right. the coaches knew what was going on. It wasn't the fourth official. <laughs> it sounds like it was the players. It's, funny, it's kind of funny that this is a another just a weird thing that happened in a uh, DC versus Philly game because this this rivalry, as such as it is, has been full of just strangeness, um, be it like the players hating each other much more than the fans. Um, the coaches currently get along extremely well. Um, I th- it seems to me from the outside that Ben Olsen gets along with Jim Curtin just about better than anyone else in the league. Um, I think that's true of almost anyone in the league and Jim Curtin. Yeah, that's Jim Curtin his is reputation renowned is, as the nicest man in right, the world. Which is which is bizarre because if anyone remembers him as a player, he was basically just trying to kick your best striker into uh, death. Um, but uh, I, I guess I guess I, I understand that on some level to to go back to being an or- ordinary and reasonable human being once you're not playing. Um, right. But yeah, it, it's just another strange chapter because. Uh, I feel like if that had happened against another player, like Alejandro Bedoya was in the area, um, I feel like if Bedoya had been the player in that incident, have would not have lobbied to help Acosta at all. Probably would have made up. Oh. He probably would have made up some extra. He'd be like, "No, not only did he kick me, he also stabbed me with a knife." Um, you can see the knife wound, and he'd be like, "Well, I don't see that, but I'm still sticking with my initial crazy decision to give a red card." Or he may have he may have hidden some razor blades in his right. socks and been um, like, "Oh, oh, look, he got actually, me." Actually, there, step, there was step, a step. quote from the Doya where he sort of joked, and he's like, "I guess he's trying to win fair play, uh, the fair play award, or something." Because um, in Bedoya's world, like that level of honesty is just not even. Uh, why, why would you do that? Uh, right. I mean, Gucciagnewu went even further. He he wasn't just like, "Why did he do that?" He was like, "That hurt the team." <laughs> And he might have been joking. I, mm-hmm. I, I, his. To be fair, all I saw was Gucci's quotes in writing. Right. I couldn't see the tone of his voice. I couldn't see yeah, the video. Yeah. But he, he seemed like it was like, why would you, you, you got the red card. That 
that's good. That's good for your team. Let it happen. Um, and Madunian's like, it, it's a game, guys. Yeah, yeah, you play yeah. to win, but you have to win fair. Otherwise, what's the point? Right. It, it would be one thing if it was Which like, cool. if it was a borderline foul where it was like, well, he did kind of do something there. Um, then I could see, you know, a player on the other side being like, well, you referee decided to referee decided to go over the top and overly harshly punish you. Okay, fine. Um, that's your problem. Um, but in this instance, set yourself up for that by engaging in that conduct. Right. In this instance, it really was Acosta is just trying to keep his feet and his foot happened to go, his stride happened to go near Benudian and, and Stoika thought that it was an actual attempt to kick rather than just not fall to the ground. Um, and, uh, yeah. you know, that's, that's the way it's, you, you, you should, uh, have that level of, of honesty. Please, people shouldn't be getting sent off for absolutely nothing. Um, right. And, uh, you know, I, I can only hope that if it were to go the other way that, you know, United would have. So I'm not sure that they would. Um, but, you know, to have that level of honesty would be nice to see. It probably won't. I mean, we're talking about this like this happens all the time. It, it doesn't. Um, this is not a right. Common I mean, occurrence. I so I guarantee you at some point this year, there will be a borderline red card given to an opponent of D.C. United. And it. it will not be clearly undeserved like this one was. It will not be a, a red card for conduct that didn't happen. It, right. It'll be a red card for something that happened that is overly punished and or overly harshly punished. And at that point, you don't di- like, you don't disagree with the referee's interpretation. I think that's not a, no, your facts are wrong. You, you don't tell the Check referee. Yes, that happened, but I think you should punish it with a yellow card instead of a red card. Or something like that. That's a conversation that I don't think really ever happens on the field. And I'm not sure that it should happen on the field. But if the referee imagines that something happened and tries to change the game based on that, then you correct the referee's understanding of the facts. That is a that is a fair thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the referee misses something, you bring it to his attention. If he imagines something out of you tell him you tell him you're, you're batshit. And and I think I, I think correcting the facts is is different than correcting the referee's interpretation of the law and United are going to be unfairly pilloried based on the fact that they don't lobby on mass to overturn a red card that is questionable, but possibly deserved um, later in the season. I am. It's possible. That, that is my bold prediction. Usually the national response to a DC United incident is just to not really discuss it very much, um, uh, which is a different problem. Um <laughs> Uh, and that's that's how I see that one playing out. Is it? It'll just it, it'll there will be like NYCFC will play somebody or Seattle will play someone that night, and that will get discussed more anyway, just because that's how it is. Yeah, let's uh, let's end this segment with a couple of bits of DC United player news. Bill Hamid has been called up to the final U.S. roster for the Gold Cup. One of three goalkeepers to make the cut along with Sean Johnson, because where Bill Hamid goes, Sean Johnson will surely follow. Um, they are en route to Nashville for, for the first uh, game in the gold cup group stage. Good luck to bill. I, I think he deserves at least one, maybe two, maybe three starts in the group stage. We'll see what happens. Uh, ah, Bruce ah, Arena, ah. Uh, who is not Jurgen Klinsman. I think he's proved beyond any, facsimile of doubt that he is uh very very not Jurgen Klinsmann the uh other piece of news is DC United had a player somehow um I'm not entirely sure how this this happened but DC United has added a player outside of the transfer window Deshaun Brown formerly of the Colorado Rapids and then uh of a team in Norway and a team in China he was sold for an increasing amount both times and then when China um made their foreign player limits much more strict. He came back to the U.S., wanted to have some say over where he went, so he signed with the Tampa Bay Rowdies on a very favorable deal to him as far as exiting that situation. Uh, Should a team in Europe or a team in MLS come calling, D.C. United was that team, and the Rowdies released him from his contract, so he joins United without a transfer fee, and uh, United had to send some Tam and Gam in an international slot to the Houston Dynamo to claim the top spot in the allocation order. And that was it. Deshaun Brown is theirs. 
Meantime, they sold Al-Haji Kamara to a team in Saudi Arabia for more money than they spent on Deshaun Brown. So it comes out in the wash. And they basically, uh, I would argue, upgraded the striker position for nothing outside of the, they definitely upgraded. the transfer. Window. I mean, with, with all due respect to Kamara, yeah. um, Brown fits what DC needs. Um, he can actually play either wing position as well as up front um, and is just all around a, a a better player that needs a lot less polish. Kamara still looked like a guy that he looked, he reminded me a lot of like a college rookie um, that you think make maybe two years from now might be a, a contributor, um, but two years of like solid USL play and that like that. Um, whereas Brown is going to be pushing for, like a regular spot in the, you know, we're going to be seeing him on game day pretty much from here on out. Um, he's already played in both yeah, games since he he's fit, joined the team. If he were fit, he probably would have gotten a start against Philly. Um, but he had, he could start one of these next two games. Possibly. It's still the, the, the time. He well, he, he, he can't start the open cup. Yeah, game. He's not allowed to play in the open cup. Um, because he appeared for the rowdies in their open cup game, but, um, right. The timetable is a little difficult to get his fitness high enough uh, to appear in one of these games. I do think at some point he's going to have to start before this uh, this uh, horrible string of just constant games ends, just out of sheer necessity. Um, I think it's it might be um, because they just might not have you know Lamar Nagel and Jose Ortiz are the only two recognized forwards. Or I guess you could count Latou, but we know that. If he's got to play back to goal, he's not no, a, thank you. A, an option. And also, he's having to play a lot on the wing anyway. Lloyd Sam, um, Lloyd mm-hmm. Sam has a, a some sort of hamstring issue that it, we don't know the severity of. Um, so uh, the attacking options are limited enough that Brown, you know, Ben's probably onto something that Brown might have to play the first forty-five in Montreal just so that um, someone that didn't that that played Wednesday doesn't have to then go back out there and look. Uh, because I think something that happened in this Philadelphia game was the fact that United really looked like they needed one more set of fresh legs in the attack. Um, I yeah. think yeah. having Lloyd Sam healthy right. for that would have made a, a um, difference. And, and even if he had played in the Atlanta or or or, or um, with other or with other people who are coming back to being healthy right. soon, if Nick DeLeon had been available, yeah. I mean he's been out. That could have he's been, been out long well. enough where he probably could only chipped in like twenty minutes. Um, well, yeah, but I mean, if he could right. chip in 20 minutes, that would have been. Um, but yeah, if Lloyd Sam had played yeah. the full 90 on Wednesday and then Latou had had fresh legs for Philly, I think we see a lot better performance. Um, that's the re- the reality right now is that the schedule is very unfriendly and DC's attacking side of the ball is still missing a few points. Yeah. Patrick Mullins is not going to be, I don't think we're going to see him against Montreal. We're definitely not going to see him against the Revs. Um, so, uh, that's, it's, it's a funny thing where, um, because of the way this schedule sets up where it's Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, over and over again, um, the midweek games are the ones more likely to see a good performance just because of that extra, that one day extra rest. Um, that's where the better performance is likely to happen. Um, that end of it, the end of this run where it's Saturday, Tuesday, that's going to be unpleasant, um. Because that Tuesday yeah. is at FC Dallas, which you don't want to play Texas in July, uh, and this is both of those. So um, that's, uh, I guess, that's our next episode's. Pro- yeah, we'll get to tackle that right. next week, and I, I know I for one, am looking forward to not looking forward to that. <laughs> and on that note, we'll end this <laughs> that that downer of a note. Uh, thanks, schedule gods. We will end this segment and be right back. Stick around. It's Filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But But if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or, or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not, uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the district of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich law office. 
It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. The U.S. Open Cup round of 16 goes down this week. Uh, DC United is taking part, and they will be traveling up to Boston to face the New England Revolution. In Boston. Actually actually in Boston. Boston. Not in in some field that happens to be closer to Rhode Island than Boston, but Boston. Actual Boston. This is... it, It feels like a big deal, but I don't know. Yeah, Harvard. Thank you, Ben. Uh, DC got to this round after knocking out uh, Christos FC, the the vaunted amateurs from the Baltimore area, four to one at the Maryland Soccerplex. New England dispatched the Rochester Rhinos of USL two to nothing to to reach this point. Wanagan Rowan, Wanagan Rowan, Wanagan Rowan, Wanagan Rowan, Wanagadello, who are with the US for the Gold Cup, they're going to be without some other pieces. What kind of I mean, is Jay Heaps going to run out on the field in this one? What kind of eleven should Ben Olsen be prepping for? Honestly, like I don't, I don't know how many players they're going to have in uniform. Um, the list that I have written out just from watching their last game and looking over their call-ups. Uh, Chris Tierney only played twenty minutes against TFC because of uh, some sort of knock he had picked up um, that left him unable to start. Uh, uh, Xavier Kawasi is out for a couple more weeks, so he will be unavailable. Um, Scott Caldwell uh, missed the TFC game with a concussion and was in the concussion protocol, but it's not. they never said how far along he is. Um, they mentioned offhand an injury to Daigo Kobayashi that, they, that he wasn't in Toronto, but they didn't seem to think it was that severe, so he's a, a, a big question mark. Um, during the course of this game... Antonio De La Mea, uh had to be stretchered off. He had what looked like a broken nose and a, a pretty large uh, cut on his face to go with it. Um, I have no idea how fit he is at this point. Um, what else? Uh, Benjamin Angua, the other center back, uh, had to come off with a pretty gruesome... Uh, it was just a broken finger, so he probably will be available, but it was still not, uh, not pleasant viewing because his finger just was no longer pointed in the correct direction. Um... Kellen Rowe, Juan Agudelo with the national team, as you mentioned. Um, Gershon Kofi was called up for Ghana uh, for two friendlies. They play Mexico on the 28th, the day of the Open Cup game. Uh, there is a little caveat there. Ghana isn't, this isn't, uh, they don't have the international protection that the U.S. and Mexico do um, for these uh, friendlies with Ghana, where because they're in the Gold Cup prep, te- teams are obliged to let their players go. Ghana's doing these games outside of the international window. So the Revs are not obliged to let Kofi play against Mexico. So if they wanted to, they could make him stay uh, and suit up, which honestly, if they want to field anyone in defensive midfield, they might have to because, you know, the players I mentioned, uh, Kofi, Caldwell, uh, Kawasi, Kobayashi, that's pretty much all of their defensive midfielders. They've got uh, Zach Haravo, who's a homegrown player who's barely played, um, he is they a defensive start Jared Jeffrey. Um, the other option they have would be moving Andrew Farrell, um, who was talked about as a potential defensive midfielder when he was drafted. But Andrew Farrell ended this game limping. Um, he went down late and then had to just sort of limp around for the final couple minutes of the game. So uh, the Revs are extremely beat up for this game um, to the point that, I mean, that's like, how many players is that? 10 guys that I mentioned 10 players on that list. Um, and they don't even have a completely full roster. Um, so yeah, it's going to be, 
basically they're going to show up with everyone they've got. It's sort of like a rec league team thing where it's like, these are the guys that could show up for the game uh, this night. <laughs> um, everyone else had stuff to do or, or what have you. Um, so yeah, they're, they're playing uh, a higher paid Christos FC is what you're saying. Uh, in a certain way, yeah. Um, I did. Le- I left out. They've got Javon Watson. I guess he could slot in um, in defensive midfield. So Sorry, this is not a dig at Javon two... Watson. Uh, this is not a dig at no. him. This is an addendum to my my previous statement. A higher paid, less likable Christos FC. There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, I mean the, the Revs. Uh, like I haven't put down their lineup for this, their projected lineup on paper yet, but it's. Uh, it's bare bones, um, to say the least. I mean, the fact that they played on the weekend isn't even a factor. They played Friday, so they've actually got an extra day of rest. So that part isn't going to cause a rotation. It's just, like, who do you put on the field to turn this into a uh, a coherent 11-plus some subs if you have the luxury of having uh, subs? They might have Brad Knighton and Matt Turner, their two backup goalkeepers, both in uniform just because... Why not? You've got the extra space. You might as well uh, let them suit up. Um, it's it's that desperate. Uh, after the the TFC game was a, a bloodbath for them. It just was a constant string of guys getting hurt, um, and they came in already banged up. So uh, good timing, I guess, for DC, but also uh, almost a bizarre level of injuries and call ups to the point that they might actually have to tell Kofi like you can't go play for Ghana in this game against Mexico. You just uh, You'll play against the U.S. only, but you've got to stick with us for Wednesday. It, I wouldn't go so far as to say good timing for United just because throwing this game in the middle of the cluster of games that United are facing otherwise just doesn't – good doesn't feel like the right word to describe that. Ben, D.C. are going to be forced into rotation of their own after we, we actually saw rotation – between the two games last week and then obviously the Saturday Tuesday turnaround at the end of this mess is going to represent its own challenge. Who do you think Ben Olsen should start and if the men and I were Richmond 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 and I will commit violence. Well obviously Chris Dorkin has to start. Um Julian Buescher has to start. Uh, I think Marcelo is going to have to start in there with them uh, just because um, it really depends on the, uh, the, the, the triumvirate of injured players. If any of them can start, I doubt it uh, out of Sean Franklin, Rob Vincent and Nick DeLeon. I doubt any of them can start, but I would think at least one of them will be on the game day roster and available for some substitute action, which would be nice uh, to see any of them get some uh, playing time uh, and try and help this team, especially before the international break and in the couple of games after the international break. Um, Striker, of course, is a delightful mess. And by delightful mess, I mean a catastrophic, abhorrent mess. Um I guess it'll, it, I mean, it'll either be Lamar Nagel or uh, Sebastian Latou, and neither of those are good, but Jose Ortiz has started the last two games, so it's probably not going to be him, and DeShawn Brown can't play in this game, so. Right. Maybe it will be Ortiz. He's come out relatively early in the last two games, and as it, it, it in, you know, right, now, this game. right now, uh, right now, right now, right now, right now, right yeah, now, they, yeah. right now, um, Nagel and Latou. I mean, it's the or, or or Steve 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 Birnbaum could start as forward with uh, Kofi Apare and Jalen Robinson in center back. Uh, I do. Bobby think Boswell's hobbling groin injured uh, corpse could jump around up there. No, I, obviously, I do think we're going to see Robinson now that you mentioned him. I think he's going to get uh, oh Robinson got this one. He's got to. Um, I don't know who he's going to replace, but uh, it occurred to me that he might have to play some fullback, which isn't we've talked about a lot how that's not really his best spot. But um, for a team that doesn't have that has three fully fit uh, defenders that can play those spots, uh, Chris Corb isn't going to be able to play 90 in both of those games. Taylor Kemp has to rest at some point. Um, 
Chris Odoyachim is going to have to rest at some point. All three of those guys shouldn't necessarily be playing two back-to-back 90s on the back of a week in which that also had to happen. Uh, so Right. Maybe maybe Ben Olsen is rolling the dice that Sean Franklin can play a 45 maybe, in there. Maybe. Um, I mean, that that's him or DeLeon having the fitness to get through that might be important because if they can't, then Robinson almost has to play at least some of the Open Cup game as a right back with, I guess, Corb on the which, left, just, just to, which, because the Montreal game is right. Huge. Which means, which means, Bur- which means burn bomb has to, which means burn bomb has to start because Boswell is out. Right. So it means it has to be burn bomb and a par in the center. Now, of the cent- I mean, center really don't necessarily need that, that rest as much as the other field positions. So if you've got to squeeze a little bit, that's the right. place to do it. But I feel like, I feel like bird bomb, I feel like bird bomb needs the mental rest. He's so out of it mentally that he needs something to like, get his head back into it. Maybe. Um, but yeah, and, I, I mean, and I don't know if that's more, I don't know if that's more games or less games or what, uh, but he needs something to get his head back into it. I mean, the, the, the thing that worries me is like, if Taylor Kemp pulls up with something, uh, yeah. in one of these two games, like you're, you're, yeah, we also, we have to remember that Corb was out of soccer for 18 months. He was unable to play. So he is not someone that you can just roll out, uh, you know, even with his, um, no, sure. It's fine. Jason, it's fine. Jason, um, Jason, it's fine. Jason. So we might see a situation where Robinson uh, plays some right back. Um, it's, uh, I mean, I guess it's going to be two. It's almost like two teams that if you threw them together, it could put together a full 11 of um, dangerous and fit guys uh, for two games in a row. But you can't do that. Um, so you've got to grit your teeth and fight through it. I mean, at least we're not. And that would also mean. That uh, Jay Heaps would coach a DC United game, and I wouldn't be okay with that. He could be associate head coach. Ben Olsen would would keep the reins. The winner of this one gets the winner of New York Red Bulls Philadelphia Union. Um, we'll talk about how I I think hopefully we'll we'll be able to preview that added uh, bit of fixture con- congestion. Uh, that, when it comes that to game it. Would come a full that game would come a week after the Dallas game, which would give us the rare luxury of seven days between games. Seven days between midweek games. <laughs> yes, it would be. It would still be strange. Um, but seven week, seven days is seven days at this point. Um, that's true. That's true. But it does shorten the time, shorten the length of that break because there's a, a game the following weekend. Right. So, uh, it, you know, it's a it's a pieing contest in this instance and the the winner gets more pie pie is great pie is great force being force-fed pie is not great but at this point i don't know that i would take the alternative i don't know that i would take the alternative um so let's just move on to a different flavor of pie uh um let's head up to the saint lawrence river in fact i don't have a pie related connection to the St. Lawrence River. If you do have one, let us know, please. <laughs> uh Saturday night DC United has a date at Stad Saputo with the Montreal Impact. Uh the Impact are the only team below DC United on the Eastern Conference standings right now, but with two games in hand, they have a bit of a leg up on Los Capitalinos. Uh the Impact are coming off a 4-1 thrashing at Mafre Stadium. Over the weekend, they're winless since June third. What is going on with the impact right now? Uh, they've. I mean, they've lost. Their, they've lost their way. Um, it's not nothing that much more complicated than that. They've got some some uh, pieces in place that are you know pretty decent players. Blairm Jamiley has come in um, as a designated player uh, with a lot of Serie A experience and and uh, experience at one of the big clubs in Turkey, but. Um, has, I mean, he's been effective. Um, he's got a couple assists already, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but overall, the, the whole team has just, they've struggled to defend. Um, they're just, they're a little off front to back. Um, the attack has been all right. They're not getting, I don't think they're getting shut out very often. Um, but they're kind of in a confused little bit of a phase where, you know, against Columbus, they tried a uh, sun, uh, sun uh, sort of look to just try and see if they could uh, change something, and instead they got a 4-1 defeat, so that's not really uh, 
I don't, I don't think that was the, uh, the plan there was to get killed by Columbus. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a weird, um, sequence. They've had the, uh, Voyager's Cup is going on there. They play tomorrow. We're recording on Monday. They play, uh, when you're listening to this, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, they play tonight. Um, so you can watch that game. Um, I think you can watch it. I don't know if, uh, MLS has been sort of hit or miss on streaming or making those available, uh, in the U.S. because it's a, Canadian championship. But yeah, they've got yeah, they've got yeah, they've got the fixture congestion like United does. Um I guess it's going around at this point in the year. They've got to get in 600 games for uh to to allow 2 weeks off. I don't I don't really understand that math, but uh it, it's clearly a something because it's clearly happening to everybody. Um Yeah, it's it's been strange uh trying to figure out exactly what their problem is outside of a, a vague defensive malaise that's sort of settled in and, and is not really helping them win games right now. So on, as far as tactics go, we, we talked about earlier in the year um, that they had had their best success as a pure counterattacking team. But uh, Mauro Biello, their, their coach said that they needed to add another wrinkle to that and be, less one dimensional have they managed to do that or are they still nacho piatti running at people in space trying to 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 dice them up or i know they added blarem jamali um this year has he changed that dynamic at all or are the impacts still who we know they are i think they're still mostly uh, a team that's best on the counter um they had a little stretch there where it seemed like they were um getting the job done uh, possessing the ball a little more, but they, they still ultimately, it seems like their goals tend to come on the counter. Um, they don't seem to create too much without that. Um, and as long as that's the case, I guess, um, I guess they are who, who we thought they were. Um, you know, I, I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head. And I, I, I haven't seen their game over the weekend because there just hasn't been enough time because there are too many games. Um, but uh, I, I know from looking at the lineup what they were they're playing, but I haven't seen their one goal in that game, but I, I can't remember the last time that I can... I guess against Portland when they beat them 4-1, they, must, they scored a, a goal based on possession somewhere in there, but mostly it's been what they're good at, which is hitting teams on the break. Um, now with Jamiley instead of, so far at least, and I, I think this is a conscious decision to, to give Patrice Bernier a little bit of a rest so he's at his best come fall, um, so far, Jay Miley has been in that spot and he's, he adds some mobility that Bernier and Bernier is 37 years old. Um, he can't really run the counter. He can make a key pass during the counter, but he can't do the running involved. Um, Jay Miley gives them that extra, um, boost in, in terms of athleticism through there. Um, Matteo Mancosu is back, um, after, he missed the last game uh, between these two teams. He missed that with an injury. He's back playing now. Um, they actually they had sent Michael Salazar, if you guys remember, the the one and only Belizean player in MLS um, who had giant hair, um, who has caused United some problems in yep. preseason games. And I think once in the league. He was supposed to be alone, but long loan, but he made the bench against Columbus and played 14 minutes, so I guess they just... Uh, dissolve that loan for whatever reason. Um, so they've, they've got some attacking players starting to come back in with, with those two added to uh, Anthony Jackson, Hamel, Piotti, Jamile, Oduro is still there. Um, uh, Balu Tabla, um, the 18 year old who scored in the previous meeting between these two teams, he's still around. So, um, you know, they've, they've got a bunch of, pretty talented attackers, but it seems like they're still kind of stuck doing the same thing. Um, because a lot of those guys, their primary, their primary weapon is either speed or in Mancosu's case, he's just clever off the ball and finds pockets where he doesn't necessarily need to be as fast as Oduro, for example. So the Montreal impact, uh, we don't know exactly which players are going to be unavailable for this because of the, the gold cup. As we record Canada, we we haven't been able to find their official final roster. We're a day but, early before they have to turn yeah. one in. Uh, we we couldn't di- didn't feel like delaying this to Tuesday. 
uh, to record, but the, the impact could be hit pretty hard by, by call-ups. And Jason, who are some of the names that they could be missing and what are the effects that, that those possible absences could potentially have in this hypothetical game that may or may not happen on the weekend, which may or may not come pending the end of the world? Right. Well, the, the apocalypse is always on our minds. Um, <laughs> but uh, Bernier, like I mentioned, um, I think I mean, he's going to retire from professional soccer. So I assume that Canada is going to call him in and give him a swan song. So I, he will not be um, if that's the case, if they don't decide to just cruelly not call him in for his final uh, run with the national team, he'll be he'll be unavailable, which changes things for them because he's uh probably the smartest player they have in central midfield. Um, a few of their, um, let's see, Wandro Lefebvre, the, he's just depth really at center back. He's not really going to make a difference. Uh, same with Maxime Crepeau, the, I think he's their third string goalkeeper at this point. Um, but, uh, Anthony Jackson Hamel, who I mentioned, um, who was rumored to be on the way out of Montreal entirely has instead become, uh, He's either their top scorer or tied for their goal scoring lead. I think he's got four or five goals at this point. Um, so he's having a breakout season, but he is on the list for Canada. And Canada has had a long history of not having any, um, you know, a, a very short uh, set of goal scoring talent. Um, Kyle Laren, as we know, the the, um, the DUI situation that he's under means that he's probably not good. He is on that preliminary list, but I feel like they're going to not call him in so he can sort out his off-the-field issues, um, which means that Jackson Hamel might be a huge part of what Canada wants to do. So I I figure he's going to get called in as well. Um, they've also... What else? Uh, I'm missing one more. Um, uh, David Schwanier, who is a, a homegrown player that's barely played this year, I don't think he's going to get called in. So really it's Bernier and Jackson Hamel who change things for the impact as far as a league match goes. Um and those are two potential – I mean, now that Mancosu's healthy, Jackson Hamel may be not a potential starter, but he would definitely be uh, the first roll of the dice as far as a game-changing substitute in their attack. Um, Bernier – and they can replace Bernier fairly comfortably with uh, Jamile, Marco Donadel, Hernan Bernardello. Those guys are all available, so they'll be able to function without Bernier. Like I said, they've been kind of resting him a lot anyway, just so that he's fresh, uh, come, uh, the fall. So they can deal with a little him, I think a little more comfortably than they can Jackson Hamel. I mean, that's become kind of their go-to, you know, Oh, this game isn't going well. Let's bring Jackson Hamel into it and see what happens. Um, actually he started against Columbus, so he might even be, um, you know, Mancoso. I'm sure they're protecting him for their, um, their cup game on Tuesday, but still uh, Jackson Hamel has been playing well enough where he's probably in line to get real minutes. And now he won't, well, we're we're presuming he won't be available. So um, it definitely thins their ranks um, for Saturday uh, for sure. So how is Ben Olsen going to, uh, to approach this? What do you need to take away from, from the impact? And the, the answer is obviously Piatti, Piatti and (laughs) Piatti. Yeah, um, you need to be really good in transition. Um, if Going you, both ways. Yeah, um, but especially I mean, if Montreal settles into their defending counter kind of stance, um, which has been by and large what's been effective for them, um, you need to have the ability to break them down uh, with possession, which has been a weak point for United. Um, guys like Acosta and Niarka are going to have to be really sharp on the dribbles because that's maybe the best hope United doesn't United isn't going to overnight be good enough at possession to string together the passes to break down an organized defense uh, often enough to get enough goals to win a road game. But they do have some flash on the dribble where they could open things up that way. So the important, so the importance of those two in that game is going to be huge going forward. Um, But the bigger worry really is, is getting caught, on a turnover, and this has happened. It happened against Atlanta. It happened against Philly. The last two goals that United has conceded have been United turns the ball over and gets caught while they're still wide open, um, and they don't transition into defensive positions properly, uh, fastly enough, or uh, fastly enough, um, quickly enough <laughs> to uh, to actually be in in a, a good shape to defend uh, their goal. And Montreal feasts on that kind of thing. Um, now the good news is that the last time these teams met, United looked a little more able in that department. 
Um, the issue wasn't that. It was just an overall flat performance front to back that led to, you know, Montreal scored their goal and then the game sort of just happened for 77 more minutes. It just sort of, there were, they were on the field so legally it counted as a game. Um, if they can, if they can shut down the transition from Montreal and keep them from those breakouts, they've at least got themselves, uh, a good chance because Montreal, like we said, isn't really doing much else right now. Um, they do still have Ignacio Piatti. He is still sort of a one man game changer, um, that you have to deal with, you know, and it's not a such and such is going to have to shut him down at right back. It's a, it's a full team job dealing with Piatti. Um, but, uh, mostly it's just, if you transition to defensive positions, well, you're going to have a good chance of shutting Montreal out because they just aren't creating much else. Um, that, and, I, set piece defending comes to mind just because not so much because Montreal is so good on set pieces, but because DC has been so bad on them. Um, and on a road game, when you're on short rest, you really can't, if Montreal is going to win this game, it better be because they earned their goals with good skill, not with, they put a corner in the box and somebody beat their man. Um, that can't happen because this team we know is not going out and scoring a ton of goals. It's not really on the cards for them. So, um, those are the two things that really worry me are, set-piece defending and transition defending are going to be huge. Right now, there is a little uh, whiteboard over the copier in the DC United locker room at RFK Stadium that has, this team has gone two games without conceding a set-piece goal. Uh, hopefully, that they don't have to reset that to zero after either of these games this week. Hopefully, you can push that up to three, four, and, and beyond. Um, but, yeah. Not not a good place right now for set piece defense. I don't have any. I don't have a conclusion to draw from that. I just wanted to make the whiteboard joke. That's fair. <laughs> and on that completely thought out and organized ending, let's end things. Wow, I'm. I I, I think I need to go to sleep. Too. We are ending this at exactly. Um, <laughs> Adam, just, just just end it and stop talking. Exactly five minutes too late is what I was going to say. Find us at blackandredunited.com, uh, on Twitter, at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. We're on Google Play. We are on the podcatcher of your choice. We're also on Patreon. If you feel like supporting us financially, we certainly appreciate it. You can buy our love. I will put that out there. Uh, so, so throw some money our way, and we'll we'll keep doing this and making it bigger and better. We're over halfway to our goal that unlocks, makes it worth our while to produce and release uh, bonus content for patrons only. So, uh, if you help us reach that mark, then you're you're making us work more, and we will love you nevertheless. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the podcast. We really appreciate it when you do that. That's another way to win our love without money. Um, For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we will talk at you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. I have no love to be one. Aw. Jason is loveless. (laughs) 